0: Let's prepare our hearts again to engage with God's Word in his holy scriptures. The Holy One speaks to us in the Holy Bible. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Holy God, in your Son, Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We ask that you would enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit today, and grant us that reverence and humility without which no one can understand your truth, through that same Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, uh, if you don't know me, I'm Mike, one of the pastors here, and I'll be speaking on that passage, Exodus 19, which was just read for us by Aaron. Do turn it up if you've got a Bible, page 76. After this, we're going to go straight into celebrating the Lord's Supper, which you can see here. And Graham, uh, one of our elders, is going to lead us in that. What kind of people are we? My previous church met on Sundays in a place called Moss Side, which is a neighborhood in South Manchester. We used the local high school, a modern high school in Moss Side. This school was incredibly diverse, it was amazing. There were over 60 languages spoken by the students in the, in the school body. Now at one point, a, quite a big community of Somalian people moved into Moss Side. And actually there was an area of, the, of that part of town that became known as Little Somalia with shops and a couple of really good cafes. They did a Somalian lamb that would make your mouth water. And as they moved in, obviously their kids went to local schools and they went to the school where we met and the head teacher confided in me that they had put several Somalian children in the same class so that they had friends from their home country and they weren't isolated. Now that does sound like a good idea, doesn't it? But the decision backfired dramatically because although the children were all from Somalia, they were not from the same tribe. And people from some of those tribes did not get on at all well. And these well-meaning British teachers were soon faced with an outbreak of tribal warfare in the classroom. What kind of people are we? Tribal identity. The people we belong to can be much more important than national identity. Later on this year, some members of this church will dress up in beautiful clothes, and stand in front of a congregation of family and friends. They will make vows and exchange rings. Prayers will be offered, commitments will be made, and after that, they will wake up with a different identity. They will now have a shared address and home. One of them most likely will change her name. And, but both of them are equally committed to an exclusive love relationship. They will not be free to go out on a date with a member of the opposite sex like they used to be. That option will end. What kind of people are we? Marriage identity shapes who you are. And both tribal and marriage identities are part of something broader, which is kinship. Kin, not king. Kinship. Have you ever heard the phrase, your kith and kin? Kin are the people you belong to. It defines who we are. It defines our behavior towards others who aren't in the kinship group. It defines our behavior towards the opposite sex. Kinship defines our lives in thousands of different ways. It defines how we use our time, how we establish our priorities, how we relate to people. What kind of person are we today? Where is your kinship? To which people do you belong? Now, this is what Exodus chapter 19 is all about. And this, by the way, it seems very remote to us. It is 100% relevant to Monday morning, which is a bank holiday. All right, Tuesday morning. It's 100% relevant to Tuesday morning. You see, when you arrive at the office, building site, school, school gate, toddler group, the way you are is totally shaped by your kinship, the people that you belong to. When you put the 15th load of laundry in this week and change the 50th nappy and go to a toddler group on Wednesday morning or Friday morning, the way you are is totally shaped by your kinship, the people to whom you belong. It affects everything, not just our work, but our weekend, what influences our decisions about what we do on Sunday, the people to whom you belong. These are my people. What shapes how you t- spend your time in the evenings? Free time. The people to whom you belong. Sometimes people connect to a church. They quite like it. But they only show up at a meeting when it fits in with their rest of their life. The busy schedule. What does that reveal? What it really says is they don't really think they belong there. Their people are somewhere else. I had a sad conversation a number of years ago with an old friend of mine. He'd grown up in a Christian home. He'd been a, a, a passionate follower of Jesus at university. As he married and life went on, things kind of went a bit colder. And eventually, he reached the point where the rugby club, where his boys played rugby, was more important than church and effect, effectively replaced church life. And he said to me over, over a pint one day, you know, the thing is, Mike, Uh, What we found at the rugby club was a community we hadn't had at church. And my heart did sink when I heard that. And and I thought, there's a lot of problems here. And one of them is the rugby club is all people like you. No wonder you enjoyed it. Whereas the church is all people who are not like me. But it is the people of God. So the Bible question is who are my people? Now, this is our last week in Exodus. We're doing the first half of the book. We actually plan to return to it later in the year. But as we finish up here, I think there's a big idea in this chapter that brings together loads of things that we've been learning in Exodus. And here is that idea in a single sentence. We are a covenant people called and consecrated. We are a covenant people called and consecrated. And I know some of those words are a bit... They're not words we use in everyday life, covenant, consecrated. We will look at them, but these three words, three Cs, I think will help us to hang on to the big idea of the passage. Firstly, a covenant people. The story of Exodus, as you know, is a story of liberation, a story of rescue from slavery to freedom, the story of the mighty works of God who rescued his people and brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He set a slave nation free from cruel tyranny. And this story has inspired freedom fighters ever since. Free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty, free at last. But we must not miss something really important in this story. The Israelites were not cut loose from Pharaoh to become autonomous individuals in the way that we Western people think of freedom. They were set free in order to serve. So they were set free from one king, Pharaoh, to another king, a great king, whose name is Yahweh. Yahweh, which in our Bibles is printed as Lord with small capital letters. This king is the living God, the maker of heaven and earth. And so to serve this king is truly life-giving because he is the good creator. Life flourishes under his rule and blessing. Whereas to serve any other king is actually life denying. No disrespect to King Charles III. Any other king is less than the great king. And you know the same thing is true for you and me. In the ancient world you didn't switch loyalty like changing a mobile phone contract. Relationships were organized but in a profound and very solemn way. Relationships were ordered through something called a covenant. An agreement, a treaty. And a covenant is like a contract. It's a legal agreement. And like any legal agreement, a covenant has a set of promises. I promise to do this. You promise to do that. And in the ancient world, there were two kinds of covenant. One of them was between two equal partners. It's parity. Two equal partners, like a marriage. You know, there's a man and a woman. They're equal on the same playing field, same level. And in marriage, those two partners are bound together in this exclusive love relationship. Their status changes, their identity changes. Now, that is a a covenant between two equal parties. But that is not the kind of covenant that God makes with his people. Because the other type was between two unequal partners. A great king would make a covenant with a lesser king. And the great king would remind the lesser king of all the benefits that he'd brought to him and his people. He provided protection from their enemies. He'd given them crops and riches and land and all sorts of things that the great king had given to the lesser king and his people. And the covenant treaty, the agreement, would start with a statement like this. Remember, I am king so-and-so. Remember what I've done for you. And then the two parties would make promises. There would be a specific list specified of blessings and curses. You keep the covenant, you keep the relationship, there will be great blessings for you. If you break it, there will be covenant curses that follow. Now the biblical covenants in the the Bible are are, are the arrangement of a great king binding himself to a lesser. But there is an absolutely unique feature in these covenants, not found anywhere else in the ancient world, and it's this. Our God binds himself to a whole people. Not just to their king. He binds himself to a whole people. God makes a relationship, commitment to a whole people. And this is what he has come to do at Mount Sinai. That's how important this chapter is. One scholar, Robert Alter, says, this is a decisive turning point in the whole of history. God has come down to make a relationship with the whole people of Israel. And the essence of true religion in the Bible is that God relates to his people through a covenant. Abraham, Israel, King David, finally Jesus. There's a covenant relationship being established here. And this one is known as the Mosaic Covenant because it was established with Moses. But we need to realize, friends, Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, are also in a covenant. And it's called the new covenant. Jesus said, a new covenant I'm making with you. So back to our question again. What kind of people are we? The answer is, firstly, we are a covenant people. God has bound himself to us. Just as he made a covenant with Israel, so he makes a covenant with the church through Jesus Christ. And what this means is, if you are a Christian brother or sister here today, you belong to Jesus. Body and soul. All of you goes in. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. See, being a Christian, and I speak now to people who, who aren't perhaps followers of Jesus yet, but you are interested. Being a Christian is not a lifestyle choice like joining the gym. Being a Christian is not an ethical choice like becoming a vegan or a pacifist. It's not a vocational choice like becoming a gardener or a teacher. Being a Christian is bigger than any of those. Being a Christian means that you belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, and that he now is your Lord and King. See how big this is? He's the great King whom you serve. He's the one who has saved you. So you remember, and your whole life is lived in the light of that. He's the one whose words you live by. And your primary allegiance and loyalty in life is to Jesus. You see how fundamental being a Christian is? And what this means is his people are your people. You're my people because you're Jesus' people. You have become a new kind of person. The Bible talks about it as being born again, a new birth. And now you belong to a new people, the covenant people of God and so this loyalty must trump the claims of tradition of culture of family and sometimes it claims the trumps the trump of law because there are times we might have to exercise civil disobedience to obey king Jesus because we belong to him and we're part of his people many years ago in that church in manchester we used to hold a monday night service in a in a pub on a busy street called Oxford Road, right opposite the main student uh, building, and a place where many people would come back and forth. And every week we'd have new people coming in randomly. We'd serve the meal, and people, we'd, we'd explain the word of God. And one week, a, a young woman came in, Iranian woman. She had a pad with her, uh, which was full of questions. She'd written down more than 100 questions from her own thinking. And she said, I've got some questions. Is it all right if I ask them? We well, said, we'd love to talk to you about your questions. So there began a journey that ended up with her committing to Jesus Christ. She followed Jesus. And then she lost her family. She waited until her passport had expired before telling mom and dad back in Iran what she'd done. Her father was an influential leader of an Islamic political party, and the parents uh, flew to England to try and take her back, but she couldn't leave because of the passport. She lost her family, but she knew, because she knew this: I now belong to Jesus. And so our church had to start thinking through, what does it mean to be the people of God for her? Covenant people. Now, to be a covenant person, I hope you kind of got what that's about now, is to be a called person. Called, that's the second point. Called people. We're not in covenant with God in in a sort of passive sense, like we're just become pawns moved around on a chessboard. The covenant that God makes with his people is intimate and relational. It's a relationship of love. It is absolutely dynamic. It moves the whole of life in a new direction, and it gives us great energy and purpose In our lives. We see this in the summary of Israel's call in Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. Have a look at that with me. This is what God uh, tells, the Lord tells Moses to say to the people, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured, possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Notice the the language that God uses there. Um, I know there are one or two ornithologists in this church. One of them made a journey recently to a place where in in this country there are actually uh, white-tailed eagles. And uh, somebody showed me a picture of this on Friday. A white-tailed eagle. I was Blown away, this bird has got a, a wingspan of eight feet. Can you imagine? I mean, this is a huge, great bird. This is England. Now, I don't know how an eagle carries its young on its wings. I think it's poetic. But the images of the mighty bird, this king of the, king of the birds, coming in and carrying the people off to safety, like looking after its, its chicks, its young. There is a, by the way, there's a live stream camera on top of Kingston College at the moment, and you can watch a peregrine falcon, this is in Kingston, you can watch a peregrine falcon caring for three chicks. So if you don't mind watching the odd pigeon being caught, torn apart and fed to chicks, it's really lovely. But the the instinct of the mother bird, my days, that bird will do anything to feed and protect and care for those chicks. And God says, you see what I did to Egypt? Egypt's like the pigeon." You know, I brought you out on, on my wings. He loves them so much. This is an image of this mother bird. And he says, now I've brought you here to this mountain to make this commitment. Okay, three things from those, those verses which are really important. Firstly, you will be my treasured possession. You will be my treasured possession. That means pr- precious Property. Kings and queens oversee certain property that is royal domain. You know, King Charles can wear a marvelous crown. It's probably the best crown in the world. I would say that. I'm English. But it's not his. Uh, it's, it's owned. It's public property, I guess. It'll go on to the next person. A family friend of my parents worked for Buckingham Palace, and in years gone by, he would go with the queen, to a room in Buckingham Palace that is full of fine art. I mean, really, really fine art, stuff that should be in galleries. And he would go through these paintings with the queen, and she would pick which ones to hang in the palace. What a cool job. Yeah, I think I'll put that Monet up this week. Stick it on the wall. Look, don't drop it. Now, the queen could pick out any of those pictures and have them hang on the wall, but they weren't really hers. They were hers in trust, and now King Charles has got them. But you know, some property is the king's. His treasured possessions are his. And this verse says that out of all the people in the world, Israel were chosen to be God's treasured possession, his prized, precious people. How intimate that is. And... That is how Jesus Christ thinks of you, dear friend. I wonder if you ever stopped and thought that. Just think about this as we come to the table. Jesus looks at me, looks at you, and says, you are my treasured possession. Just put your name in there. You, put your name in. You are my treasured possession. And this being God's possession was not just for their own benefit, although what a benefit it is. They have an amazing role in the world. It says in verse 6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Royal priests. In other words, the people of God are to be like priests for the rest of the world. Now what do priests do? The priests Represent people to God. They go into the temple, they take blood from a sacrifice, they come and bring prayers for the people out there before the presence of God Himself. And God is saying here, You're going to be like the priests for the whole world. You're going to bring the whole world to me and pray for them and offer their sacrifices because through this special people, the world will be saved. That's an extraordinary privilege. They had a unique function on planet Earth. They were to be a community of light that the whole world would be drawn to. They would help the world to find God and they would bring the world to God. One of the later prophets, Zechariah, said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is... Is with you. what an image there's ten representing all the nations and they see this Jew and they grab his robe and they say let us go with you because we've heard that you can take us to God that is the vision of this verse the kingdom of priests you're bringing people to God the peace on earth through dealing with our greatest problem our war with the creator treasure possession kingdom of priests thirdly this means that their lifestyle had to be unique doesn't it Their lifestyle had to be unique. They were to be, again in verse 6, a holy nation. A holy nation. You see, nobody would be drawn to the light if Israel lived exactly the same as all the other nations. They had to be distinctive. The essence of their life together was actually that it would be a life of love. Love. The heart of their law is summed up in two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Israel's whole society was to be built around these principles. If they'd kept the law, it would have been the first society in human history where poverty was eradicated. The Old Testament law was set up to deal with poverty. They had laws relating to things like gleaning. So someone was a landowner, they had a field with crops in it. They weren't supposed to, to harvest right up to the edge. They always had to leave a strip of land where the poor... The immigrant, the orphan, could harvest and and get food for themselves. See, in many, many ways, little detailed ways, it was to be a society of social justice, of generous justice. And not just that, but also a place of great moral purity. They were to be a place of holy relationships in every sphere, to be a place, a society of grace. And through that, the world would be changed. That was the vision. Now, that is... A high calling, isn't it? Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Friends, let me ask you, do you want your life to count for something? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to be part of something that changes the world for good forever? That really makes a difference? Not just a sticking plaster, something that changes the world profoundly That is the calling of God's people, his covenant people. That is our calling as a church. As his treasured possession to be holy priests, holy nation and royal priests in the world. And it's essentially a calling to change the world. To be a community of light in a very dark place. To be a people of grace and forgiveness in a world of resentment and moaning. To be a holy people in a dirty world. You see how beautiful this is? It's such, this calling is so high and lovely. So we don't just kind of decide to sign up and walk into it like a drop-in clinic. In verses 7 and 8, Moses comes back and he summoned the elders of the people, the leaders of the people, and he set before them all the words. It's almost like bringing a package of words back down. This is what he said gives them the words and they hear these words these words are so important, powerful they can change anything and they hear the words and listen to what they say in verse 8 we will do everything the Lord has said, we want to be it, we're in and there's a two day period preparation getting ready for the covenant ceremony God's going to speak, it's almost like getting married and more precisely it is a period of consecration, thirdly Consecration, so we are. um, I've forgotten my points. That's a bad sign, isn't it? Covenant, that was it. A covenant people who are called and consecrated. Consecrated. What does this mean? Thank you, Graham. Some of it can be captured by preparations for wedding day. On the wedding day, everybody gets dressed up, don't they? I mean, somebody said, I heard recently, not all God's people are beautiful. In fact, some of God's people are barely presentable. But we all look presentable on a wedding day. We get dressed up. We make make sure we have the right clothes. We might have to borrow some clothes. I had a phone call a number of years ago from an American intern at our church who said, can I borrow some pants? And I said, I've got some trousers you can borrow. (laughs) We need the right clothes. We wash, we shower, we Trim our beards. We put on our makeup, some of us. And the covenant parties, the the, the man and the woman, oh boy, they especially get ready, don't they? They are ready. And that's what the Israelites have to do. They have to get ready. They have to wash their clothes. These perhaps were clothes that they'd taken from the country of Egypt when they left, plundering the Egyptians. And these clothes have been worn by people who've worshipped other gods. It's now time to wash and get ready. They also have to abstain from sex, We don't really know why. But one thing is clear, this is about focus. It's about preparing for something very, very important. It's about being clean. You see, God is so holy, holy, holy that you and I don't just show up and stroll into his presence, unwashed, scruffy, unprepared. We are talking about the sovereign of the universe. If you would appear smart, clean, and well-prepared for a wedding, how much more for the king of kings? In fact, God is so holy that it's not even safe to go near him. So they have to establish safe boundaries. You notice this language about don't touch the mountain. It's about being the people needing to be kept safe. Don't press forward and try and get a view of God. When he comes down, it's not safe for you. Because God is so holy that when he comes into contact with sin, it's like a flammable substance. (sniffs) Only one can go into the very presence of God. His name is Moses. They need an intermediary, someone who will go in for them. And he acts as a mediator, an intermediary between God and the people. He brings the messages up and down. And we need an intermediary too. What kind of people are we? Covenant people, called, consecrated. Those Israelites were the most privileged people in the world, liberated and given a special task, set apart for it. They had been slaves. Now they were royal priests. They were serving Pharaoh in drudgery. Now they were serving the living God and could walk tall. And that meant they were to be a community of light that would change the world. But something went badly wrong. They broke the covenant. They did not keep their side of it. They broke it again and again over hundreds of years. They were not faithful to God in an exclusive love relationship. They cheated on him with other gods. They were not holy. They behaved just like the other people around them. Their values and lifestyle became increasingly copied from their neighbors, not from the words of God. Of God, And the deeper problem under this was that they didn't really want to change. At the heart level, they didn't want to be part of God's people. And so they were, for the most part, totally unsuited to that high calling to bless the world. So eventually they did experience the covenant curses and went into exile. And that is where we are going to leave Israel this morning, at the foot of Mount Sinai paused on the brink of a great adventure, the one people in all the world who had seen God's care and power exercised on their behalf, the people who God had said, I want to move in with you, the people given the greatest commission, tantalizingly peering into the future, a future that could have been truly great as they lived as God's covenant people and changed the world, but it wasn't to be because their hearts were far from him. But that is not all. That's not it, because God had something planned that would take those same elements, the covenant people called and consecrated, and transpose them into a more magnificent symphony. God had something planned that from the chrysalis of the old covenant would emerge the glorious, beautiful, international church of Jesus Christ like a butterfly, There is great continuity with the past. We are still a covenant people, called and consecrated. But what God has done in Jesus is so much better. It is breathtaking. We are part of a new covenant. Do we need a sacrifice to deal with our sins? Our sacrifice is the blood of Jesus himself, offered by himself on our behalf, once for all. He's wiped it all away. Do we need a high priest to go into the presence of God? Our priest is Jesus himself. He ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus prays for you in the ear of the Father as he sits at the right hand in power. Do we need a word to live by? We have the word of Jesus Christ given through the apostles and the prophets. During His life on earth, Jesus went up a mountain with some of his closest followers, and there Moses and Elijah appeared, the great lawgiver and the great prophet. They affirmed that Jesus was the culmination of all the law and the prophets. And then a cloud descended, just as it did at Mount Sinai. And the reason for the cloud, by the way, is to protect the people around, because you can't just look on God. That would be worse than looking straight at the sun. And a voice spoke, just as it does here on Mount Sinai. But this time the voice said, listen To him, this is my beloved son. You see, at Mount Sinai, the God of burning holiness makes the journey. He traverses the heavens to be with his people. He wants to move in with them. But when he comes down, it's like smoke billowing up from a kiln. The whole mountain shakes. Because this is the maker of heaven and earth. How can we live with a God like that? He wants to be near us. He commissions us to bless the whole world. But how can can we, a flammable people, live with a holy God? This is a terrible problem. What's the solution? It's for God to make the journey again. Only this time, not in fire, but in darkness. The darkness of a virgin's womb. This God of burning holiness wants to move in with his people... And commission us to bless the world. And in Jesus Christ he makes that possible. He lives this life of perfect holiness. He walks amid sin, sickness and he cleanses everyone he touches. He keeps the law of God perfectly. And therefore now the church of Jesus Christ is the people of God. Able to stand in the presence of God. And to be a light to the nations. But only if we live in the light of our calling to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So if you are a Christian today, you are in covenant with Jesus, and he is your Lord. Dare I say it, most of the problems we have in the Christian life are from the fact that we forget who we are. We're remembering that today with this table. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. You are the new covenant people of God called, consecrated to change the world. We come to the Lord's table today. This is a covenant renewal meal. And so as we come, here, these words of the Apostle Peter, who saw Jesus on that mountain. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual temple to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, King's Church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen.